Amen. Good morning, church family. I'm glad that you're here today. You know, our, our hearts are, are heavy, and um, we mourn the loss of, of our dear friend and sister and servant of Jesus Christ, Diane Grizels. And, you know, I just want to say a quick word about that. Um, unforeseen and surprising to each one of us, this recent news about Diane and some of her family members shocked so many of our lives. But I want you to know something in and through our own grief. Please let us all be respectful to her family. We really don't need to know all the details. What is more necessary is to communicate to them our love, our concern, and our prayers. Diane was a person of influence, and the separation that we feel is very real, and our sorrow hurts tremendously. But even in the midst of sorrow, we know that she is today with her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says he will never leave us nor forsake us, and we can take courage in that. And I just want to say thank you, Lord, for each one of us having the opportunity to know someone like Diane, someone that enriched our lives, someone that was so beautiful and, and, and wonderful in many ways, and praise God for a beautiful example. You know, we can take comfort in that. The best thing we can do is pray for her family and to lift them up, even in the midst of our hurt and our grief. But I just want to go to the Lord in prayer, if we might, for just a moment, uh, just to pray for her family. Loving Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you that as we gather, we can just lay our grief at your feet. Father, knowing that, Lord Jesus, you know what it's like to grieve. That you felt the sorrow for the people in your life. As you walk this earth, you know exactly what we're going through. Father, I pray for Diane's family. I ask in this time of confusion, in this time of questioning, in this time of grief and sorrow, when it seems the whole world is upside down, I pray, Father, for your strength. I pray for your peace. I pray for the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ just to come beaming, shining brightly through uh, the gloom. Father, I pray that you would not allow us to be focused on the grief, but Father, to be focused upon the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for defeating the death and the grave, and we thank you for what that means to each one of us. And Father, I pray... For Karina, I pray for Kaylin, I pray for her family. I, I ask God that you would just lift them up. And Father, that you would just put your, your grace, your mercy around them. And Father, that you would just draw them close to you. Father, I pray that we could be a help. I pray that we could be light in a, in a time of, of darkness. I pray, Father, that we could be those that walk beside those who are grieving and in sorrow. Lord, we love you. We praise you. 
We ask, Holy Spirit, that even now that you would turn our attention to you. That, Father, we would be able to see in and through your word what you have for us today. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask that you would guide our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, this morning we're going to wrap up our series on these minor parables, uh, the, the ones that we don't hear a lot about. And today I want, to, I want to speak about the man and his servant in Luke chapter 17. And if you have your Bible or your, um, your uh, e-Bible or whatever it is you use, would you open it up to Luke 17? We're just going to camp out there for a little bit this morning. You know, sometimes when we encounter the difficult commands of Scripture, we should not focus more on faith, but really we need to focus more on obedience, our obedience, and humility when we encounter those difficult commands of Scripture. The question I have for you this morning, I want to I ask you this question, and is it, do you see yourself as a servant or just a volunteer? Because there's a huge difference between those two words, a servant and a volunteer. I mean, a volunteer picks and chooses when and even whether they want to serve or not. But a servant serves no matter what. There really is no choice. The, the volunteer serves when it's convenient. But a servant serves out of commitment. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he encourages us to live as servants of God. He doesn't say live as volunteers. He says live as servants of God. And as I survey the scriptures, we are called to serve and but first to be servants. To be servants of Almighty God and to serve him in whatever way he leads us to, but then we're also called to serve. And and we have to settle the fact that our life as a believer, our life as a follower of Jesus Christ is to be a servant, but also that should lead us to loving acts of service to others. In other words, let's put it this way, serving doesn't make you a servant, but if you are a servant, you will serve. Luke 17, um, my, my notes say uh, 7 through 10, but I want to read verse 6 as well because I'm going to include that in just a moment. But um, it says this, it says, And the Lord said, he's speaking uh, to his disciples, If you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you? Having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, would say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself and serve me, while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too... When you do all the things which you are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. 
Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I I pray, Father, that even in this moment that you would take your word and, Father, that we would see clearly you through this this passage. And, Father, that uh, the Lord Jesus would come into focus in our, our heart and in our mind. And, Father, that we would see that we are servants of the, the Most High, and that, that He is our Lord and Master. And Father, that through this, that we would be better equipped and ready to serve You in any way that You call us to. Father, we love You. We thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your sacrifice. We ask, Holy Spirit, that You would make it very plain to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I would say to you this morning that often we take our discipleship too lightly. You know, we think we can add Jesus to whatever we're doing, but when Jesus gives the command to follow me, what he's saying is, I want you to be my disciples. I want you to be someone who is all in with me. And we often take our our discipleship too lightly. But you see in this parable uh, of Jesus, he was cautioning against the flippancy you know, the, the, the easiness with which we go back and forth and which we approach our relationship with our master. The master-servant relationship. He is our Lord and Savior and that makes us His servants. No matter how much we do, we can never put God in our debt. You know, some of us, sometimes we think that, well, God sure is lucky to have me on his team. Boy, he sure is lucky to have me at church this morning. You know, we will never be put in, 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 in God's debt. He, he owns us. He owns it all. And all of our righteousness and all of our right deeds cannot match up to the priceless gift that he has given us through his son, Jesus who has washed away by His blood, by His precious blood, all of our sin. So that we can have a right relationship with God, so that we can serve Him, so that we can know Him. See, God doesn't owe us anything. Instead, we owe Him everything. See, Jesus knew how to balance one truth with another. So that his disciples would not go to extremes. I mean, just previously in verse 6, he says, If you had faith like the faith of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. See, that kind of miraculous faith, to see God do the supernatural, has to be held in check. It has to be balanced out with faithful, day-by-day, ordinary service that may be less than exciting. That ordinary, that mundane, that stuff that just happens each and every day. Sometimes we see the spectacular, but that needs balanced with that faithful day-to-day living of walking and serving our Lord and Savior. See, quite possibly this parable, like no other, was severe in Jesus' teaching. It it comes across as almost brutal. And through this parable, Jesus gives us some secrets, if you will, to servanthood. How to be a servant. 
And it's to us as servants that Jesus spoke this parable. He is speaking this to us. And and first I want to say this. A servant's work is not always glamorous. If we're going to be a servant of God, it means that it may not always be glamorous. It may not be the front spot. It may not be the, the spot up front. It may be behind the scenes when nobody sees and nobody knows. It may be dirty. It may be unglamorous. We may not have our glad rags on. We may have our work clothes on. I mean, he talks here about the servant having a slave plowing or tending sheep. You know, sometimes you can get really dirty doing either of those jobs. When you're plowing, there's a lot of dust involved. There's a lot of dirt involved. When you're tending sheep, well, you know, you get the picture. It's a dirty job. It's, it's probably a thankless job. It involves a lot of sweat and exertion and often exacts a price from us. Sometimes manual labor is that way. You wake up the next day and you realize, oh, I'm not as young as I used to be. My back hurts in ways that I didn't know it could hurt. You know what I'm talking about. You get out, you exert physically, you're doing something, and all of a sudden it's like you don't roll out of bed quite as as chipper as you did the day before. You know, we're all getting older, but sometimes that, that servanthood exacts a price. And if you find yourself strutting around about how much you serve, you better check your motives. Because in fact, if we're not willing to sacrifice something, we've not settled the issue of servanthood. See, 2 Timothy chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 3 verse 12 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, will be persecuted. See, there's no real way around that. When we follow Christ, we have to say goodbye to self. And we have to be willing to serve. And when we serve, it means we give up our rights to have what we want. You know, Fred Craddock, in a message to ministers, he once said this. He said, to give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others, to to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. If it would go, if it would be easy to go out in a, a, a flash of glory, it's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. And he tells about a fellow that came to him, a wealthy man who handed his pastor a check for $50,000. $50,000. And the pastor looked at it and then he handed it back to him. And he said, go cash this in for quarters or some dollar bills. And he said, the man was kind of flustered. He said, he said what do you mean? He said, go get some quarters and dollar bills and, and invest that in the kingdom a little bit at a time. And he said, well, that would take the rest of my life to do. And he said, that's my point exactly. We need to do that over time. That's the point. Now, incidentally, having said that, if you have a check for (laughs) $50,000, we would gladly accept that. And, you know, to help send disciples on mission to carry the gospel or, you know, to help those church planters in Seattle... 
all of those kind of things. I would say a servant's work is not always glamorous. But a servant's work also never ends. Look at verse 7. He says, when he comes in from the field, he says, come immediately, sit down and eat. No, he doesn't say that. But he will not, will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. I mean, after coming in and after working all day long, he comes back to the master's house. He's probably tired and hungry and he's probably thinking, well, maybe it's time to relax. But here's the principle. The, the servant's service may change locale, may change location, and the specific job description may be flexible. But the truth of the matter is that his service never ends. We don't like that. You know, actually, the job description for a servant is very simple and straightforward. <laughs> do everything that your master commands you to do. Period. That's the job description of a servant. Do everything your master commands. And there's a deeper truth here in verse 9. And I want to say this. The church is filled with those who only do the things commanded. Think about this. The law is the irreducible minimum. Some people will not go beyond that. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said the way up was down. But you see, when it exacts too hard of a price, we won't do it. That's as far as we go. That's as low as we will go. But you see, life in the kingdom of God is not a life satisfied with doing only what duty demands. But the way Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 5 was that we as believers, as his followers, as his servants, are to go the second mile. It's not just the minimum, it's go beyond the minimum and go beyond to what is next. You see, a true disciple is not one who satisfies, who is satisfied because that he has done all that he has to do, but one who regrets that he's unable to do all that he wants to do. Oh, folks, there's so much more for the kingdom that God has for each one of us. And we sell ourselves short. We stop too early. We say, well, I, I don't, I don't want to go all in. I, I've got I've to take care of my family. Jesus says we don't have to take care of our family. The birds of the field are taken care of. The, the flowers are, are clothed. We don't have to worry about those things. If we are doing His will, His way, if we are seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, you know all these things will be added to you. See, this servant, he goes, he moves from the outdoors to the indoors. From day to evening, from hard labor to home life. And he goes from the fields, working out in the fields, to coming home and fixing food. Don't miss this truth. A servant serves whenever, wherever, for whomever, doing whatever it takes. We could say it this way. It's not break time yet. It's not time to get in your recliner and kick your feet up. 
You know, we talk a lot about serving opportunities in the church. But we're actually should be serving all the time. Whenever we go home, we should be serving those around us. I love this. You know, Matthew Henry, he says that we must make the end of one service the beginning of another. When we have been working for God, we must still wait on God continually. (laughs) That means when you get up, you serve your family. That means when you go to work, you serve your boss and your co-workers. When you come home, you serve your family. When you go out into the community, you serve. And, when you, and you serve in some type of ministry when we come to church, when we come together. And we serve in some type of ministry outside the building, outside the church. See, the key is to be a servant, not a slacker. A servant, not a slacker. Reminds me of a company. They felt like they had to uh, shake things up because there was a lot of unproductivity. And so they shuffled their management deck in order to bring up their productivity. And they hired a new CEO. And his number one job was to get rid of all the slackers. So his first day touring the facility, he noticed this guy that was leaning up against the wall. And he wasn't doing anything. And he thought, you know, this might just be a great opportunity to make my point. And so he goes over to the young man, and he's standing there, and he said, "Uh, what do you do around here? He said, how much do you make a week, is what he asked him. He said, how much do you make a week? And he said, well, I make $200 a week. Really? CEO pulls out his wallet, pulls out two $100 bills and hands it to him, and he raises his voice, and he says, I want you to take this, and I want you to get out of here, and I don't want you to come back. All of a sudden, he's there and he's talking to the people in the room. And he asked somebody, he said, you know, I'm just curious. What did that guy do anyway? What did he do around here? The guy with a grin, he said, well, he was the pizza delivery guy. (laughs) You know, we're to be a servant, not a slacker. A servant should not be expected to be thanked. I mean, after going out and working from sunup to sundown, the servant is no doubt tired. And a word of appreciation would be nice. It would mean so much to him. But it never comes. You see, this is severe. This is kind of brutal in our mindset, in our culture. Verse 9 says, he does not think the slave... He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded him, does he? And the implied answer there is no. The word thank means to have gratitude, to be grateful. The idea is if the master expresses gratitude, it could be construed as a debt that somehow must be settled To even the score. You know, a lot of times people do nice things for us. Sometimes people invite us over for dinner. And so culturally we feel like we have to invite them back. Or we have to do something nice for them. And the idea is we want to reciprocate. We want to give back. We want to be a blessing to them as well. 
But really, what, what this is saying is the idea of thank has to do with being grateful and gratitude, and somehow that debt must be settled. Some of us wrongly think that God somehow owes us for what we've done for Him. I mean, the Pharisees, they believed that all their good deeds, all the, the works that they did, they put God in their debt. And this kind of thinking gets us into deep trouble because God doesn't owe us anything. In fact, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, God doesn't owe us. God owns us. That's what it says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. He owns us. So we do what he tells us to do. We're not entitled to a word of thanks or appreciation. Our focus is usually on our feelings, whereas this servant was focused on just doing the job that the master commanded. Here's the amazing thing. The farthest thing from his mind was the feeling that he should be thanked for what he was doing that he was supposed to do. Oh, too many of us. We serve with countless expectations. And so what happens is we serve and we give and we serve and we give and then we get frustrated and we get angry and we get mad and we determine never to serve again because no one thanked us because no one showed up and, 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 and acted like they knew what we were doing. No one acknowledged it. See, God doesn't need us to serve him. It's our duty and our delight. And he's under no obligation to reward us. Let me clarify something here. I don't think it's wrong to show appreciation when someone is serving. In fact, we need to do more of that. I mean, even, even I enjoy... A word of encouragement because ministry and giving out and pouring out can be discouraging. Sometimes we go years without seeing results. I think of those dear church planters who, who are out there, putting themselves out there, carrying the gospel. And they may not be getting much traction. And it may get discouraging. And we can all get discouraged from time to time. And we need that word of encouragement. Hebrews 3 Verse 13 says, be encouraged, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What I'm saying is it's dangerous for us to expect other people to come along and pat us on the back and make that the motivation for our service. Because serving doesn't make you a servant. But if you are a servant, you will serve. I would say also that a servant does what is expected. Notice how Jesus concludes this story, this parable, with some corrective words to those of us who attend the church of me, myself, and I. In verse 10, he says, So you too, when you do all the things which you are commanded you, say we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. 
I mean, Jesus never promised it would be easy to serve him. Rather, he encouraged his followers to count the cost. To say, what is it going to cost me? Unfortunately, we want to know what serving will cost us and how it will benefit us. If the benefits outweigh the costs and we can fit it into our schedule, then maybe we'll do a little bit of ministry. See, if we are not faithful and available and teachable, God can't use us. We have to be those three things in order for God to use us. He cannot use us if we're not faithful. He cannot use us if we're not available. And folks, we got to be teachable. F-A-T, fat. we got to be fat Christians. And I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about these three things. Faithful, available, and teachable. See, this verse helps us to see what being a servant is all about. Because if I am your servant, what you say goes. Regardless of how much we do, we cannot do more than is expected of us. Can we really say that we've done everything we've been told to do? I can't. Everything that we've been told to do, have we done it all? Every single command that God has given us, every single nudge that the Holy Spirit has put upon our heart, every single command that Jesus gave us, Have we done all that we have been commanded to do? See, Lorne Sani, the founder of Navigators, he once was asked how we can really know if we have the attitude of a servant. And his answer is concise and very profound. He said, you know if you're a servant by how you act when people treat you like one. I mean, instead of having that feeling of of entitlement, we need to see ourselves as unworthy servants. The idea in the Greek is that we are unworthy of any praise. Unworthy of any praise. It means no one owes me anything extra. See, my observation is that the happiest servants are those who consider themselves unworthy. Those who recognize in humility, he's the master, I'm the servant. Kind of reminds me in 2 Samuel 23 of David, King David, how his mighty men, he exhibited this same kind of attitude toward that when three of his mighty men went into under, under um, armed security in Bethlehem. They went in and they got him a drink from the well at the gate in Bethlehem. And astonishingly, he would not drink it, but instead poured it out before the Lord because he said he wasn't worthy of such devotion. See, when we make it about us, 
we're not making it about him. And we're taking his place on the throne. See, unfortunately, many of us drink up that praise, that admiration, seeking to be exalted and affirmed rather than to be humble before our master. See, the demand for discipleship is not confined to one day a week. Although some people say, well, the pastor, the preacher only works one day a week. That's a sick joke. Because it's not true. You know that and I know that. It's not confined to one eight-hour day a week. Or an eight-hour period of each time each day. There are no set hours for fulfilling the responsibilities in the kingdom of God. See, God hasn't called us to be sensational. He's called us to be servants. And the emphasis of the parable is not to describe the nature of God, but to reveal the nature of our response to God. See, the issue is really one of obedience. Am I going to serve myself or am I going to serve others? The servant does his duty out of devotion to the master. We do that by diving deep with God so that we do our duty with devotion to our master. You know, Soren Kierkegaard, he said this. He said, it's hard to believe, not because it's hard to understand, because, but because it's hard to obey. It's not me first. It's not we first. It's he first. And we need to be involved in service, not serve us. See, Jesus didn't recruit volunteers, but he called us servants. And he never asked his followers to give a few hours of their day off. He didn't call them to give, he, he did call them to give everything for the sake of the kingdom. But you see, most church volunteers, they have to be cornered, they have to be coddled, they have to be convinced. That their participation won't take up too much of their time. The the church doesn't need more volunteers who give away spare time. What we need is servants who belong and live their lives serving our master. The issue is not whether we will serve, but where we will serve. Robert Lewis, in his book called The Church of Irresistible Influence, he writes this. He says, move from being served to serving. From finding community in the church to impacting the community as the church. From retreating to influencing. From isolation to engagement. Folks, if you're struggling with some difficult command that you know God wants you to obey, look at the cross. Because that's where Jesus gave it all for each one of us. Jesus said in Matthew 16, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us 
that we need to grow in self-esteem. But many times it encourages us to grow in humility. Or as Isaac Watts puts it, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. Lord, I I ask that your Holy Spirit would examine our heart. Father, that we would check our motives for serving. Father, that you would examine us and, and let us know where we fall short. Father, many times we just want to do the bare minimum. But I pray, Father, that you would show us how to accomplish what you have commanded us to do. Father, I thank you for loving us. I ask that in this moment, in this time that remains, this time of response, Father, that we would respond to you. Father, that our hearts would be laid bare before you. Father, that you would show us what is missing in our relationship with you. Father, that if there is some sin that trips us up. Father, if there is some act of disobedience. Father, if there is a sense of pride that we shouldn't have. Father, that you would challenge us on that. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have his way in each of our lives. Father, help us to acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord and Master and no other. Father, I pray that you would move our hearts in this time. And Father, even as it is raining outside, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would rain on the inside. Father, we love you. We dedicate this time to you. Father, I pray that you would move in a great way in each of our lives. And we ask this by the power in the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen.